Hey, Fellowship family, it's great to have you with us on this beautiful day. Who's with me on that? Yeah, it's great to have you here. And thank you for bringing 10%, oh, Pastor, 10% of all your food uh, that uh, you have in your homes. We filled up the truck. We filled up the truck. And now this week, the Topeka Rescue Mission is going to hand that out all across this city. And so thank you for being involved in that. And I don't even think you're going to miss that. Really don't think. And look what God did. You see, over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about the flow of everything. And uh, we're going to be talking about rivers. I'll be using an illustration each week about the river, because as I've studied rivers, every river has a source. Ready? As as, um, you know, ice melts or rain falls or condensation or something overflows, you get a river that starts. And rivers reflect abundance, don't they? Water that overflows over land and then brings life and abundance to the land around it. Did you realize that when God started his story in the book of Genesis, he includes a river? He uses a river. In Genesis chapter 2, in the Garden of Eden, there flowed a river. And it says in Genesis chapter 2, he says that he sourced the garden with a river that flowed out of Eden to water the garden. From the beginning, from the beginning of God's story, he's been sourcing rivers with water, water that brings life to the land around it. God also uses rivers to describe blessing. He uses words like flowing and watered. He uses rivers. They define that blessing. And from the foundation of the world, rivers reveal the creator. I love it in Psalm 24, verse 2. It says, God has founded the world upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. I remember uh, in Israel several years ago, I looked up on a mountain and I saw the promised land that God promised Abraham. And uh, there's the Jordan River that flows right through it. And there's this crescent-shaped land that was the promised land. And when Abraham and Lot were up on that mountain, they looked down. Lot said, I want that. And remember that? Abraham, the guy who it was promised to, he had to go the opposite way. He had to live in the desert. And, and Lot saw that land. There's something about a land of abundance, prosperity. There's something about things that are flowing with milk and honey that makes it attractive to be in. It was sourced by God though, right? It was that promised land that the children of Israel would cross uh, the Jordan to go into. It would be the Jordan that John the Baptist and Jesus would baptize, uh, signifying the washing away of the sin uh, from God in our lives. And did you realize that at the end of the story, from God to us, in that last chapter of the Bible, in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, there's a river. There's a river. It says in Revelation chapter 22, 1, that when the angel shows John this picture of this final reality, that there's a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Think about that. Think about that. God's story begins and it ends with a river. Why? It's to remind us that we have a source. We have a source. God is the source and sustainer of everything we have. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to ask you to come down to the river. And I'm going to ask you to look at everything God has flowed into your life. 
things that are priceless, things money can buy, things money can't buy, but they're all from God. So, uh, so that we can see his blessings that have flown into our lives and, and, and then just not just thank him for it, but live in a reality of how God flows things into our lives. I think it will change everything about us. I think it will really make a huge difference. I want to talk today about God being the source of everything. And to do that, would you have, if you have your Bibles, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible, grab one in the back there on those two tables. And if you don't have a Bible, take that. That's our gift to you. But if you do have a Bible at home, leave it there so we can give it to someone else. But feel free, get up right now and grab a Bible if you don't have one. I want you to see this. I want you to see the truth of God's word. It's Acts chapter 17, and we're going to begin with verse 24. And let me give you a little bit of background. Paul is in Athens, and he's sharing the good news about Jesus. And as he's walking in Athens, he's basically really frustrated. He's frustrated that there's so many gods. There's so many um, situations there. One, one god, which it's kind of in case they left anyone out. The, it was the unknown god. It was the unknown god. And, and what Paul is going to share, he's going to share who God is and what he did through Jesus. And he's going to show us that God is the source, just like a river. He's the source of everything in our lives. Let's take a look with me. Acts chapter 17, beginning with verse 24. Paul says, that which you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Look at that, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, he, he being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all mankind life and breath. And finish that last word with me. Everything. That's right. That's right. Think about this. This means as, as God as the source of everything, what does this mean? Practically, it means four things. I want you to remember. First one is this. God is the maker of everything. It says the God who made the world and everything in it. And when I look in the scripture, uh, I, I have, there's, there's no debate about it. God made everything. He's the creator of things seen and unseen, visible and invisible. He's the maker of all. I like what Proverbs 16 verse 4 says. This is the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. You see, it's easy to look at our world and to be fed by the feed of the world, the news feed of the world, and say, hey, there's no purpose to humanity. It's pointless. Each, you know, you discover your own meaning and define your own meaning and live out that meaning as you see fit. God's word says, no, no, no. You were not made in a pointless existence. You were made for a purpose. You are not insignificant. You are very significant. You are not created without dignity. You are created with dignity, with infinite worth. So much worth that the God who created you lived. He lived for you because none of us can live perfectly. And he died for us because none of us can pay for our sin. We can't wash ourselves clean. Dirty people cannot make themselves clean. We have to have the cleanliness come from outside of us. That was Jesus who lived for us, who died for us, who rose again from the dead because we can't defeat death. We have a hard enough time defeating the power of sin in our lives. We can't. That's why Jesus did that for us. And we were fashioned, we were created in the image of God. That's a unique creation. And God gave us a special picture of who he is by creating us. Which means even when our world defines us by how much we make, what color skin we are, what position we hold, 
the power we have, God says, no, 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 I gave you worth because I created you in my image with infinite worth. So a follower of Jesus Christ no longer has the right to choose, pick and choose who they're going to love. We love everyone God's created. But Joe, they don't believe like me. Love them. God didn't love you because you believed in him. That in your sin, Christ died for you. That's how God demonstrated his love for you, Romans 5, 8 says. So we're called to love people. We're called to be people who recognize people are made in the image of God. Secondly, God owns everything. That's what he means when he's the source. He owns it all. Here, uh, Paul says in Acts 17, 24, he was being Lord of heaven and earth. When you hear the word lordship in, in the scriptures, you're talking about rule and reign and ownership. God owns it all. He's over it all. He's the authority, the first authority and the final authority to everything. He owns it all. I love how Psalm 50 quotes God. This is the quote from God. He says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. Why? For the world and its fullness is mine. I kind of like that. I kind of like, it just shows God's ownership of everything. When you don't have a meal or when you need some money, who do you go to and ask for that? God goes, nope, I got it. It's all here. I own it all. I own it all. It is a lie to believe that we own it. That ignores God. That's a godless existence for us to live as if God doesn't own it all. He does. That would be robbing God of what's his. He's owned Saul. He's the source. He's the sustainer of everything. It also means he sustains everything. God sustains everything. Everything that's living needs to be sustained. Here in Acts 17, it says that he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He's sourced and sustained by everything. When Israel would give to the Lord, at one of their key moments, defining moments of giving to the Lord, in 1 Chronicles 29, 11, they said this. They said, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted at head, as head over all. God sustains everything. Did you get a paycheck this week? Are you worried about your paycheck next week? Whose hands are you in? Who owns it all? God does. And he sustains you. He's brought you this far. Now, you may have claimed credit for it, but God's the one who did it. So whether or not you um, claim credit for it, it's, it's really a picture. God continues to source and sustain us. Finally, God gives Everything. Look at the last part of Acts 17, 25. It says, he says, since he gives to all mankind, look at what he gives, life and breath. And there's that word again, everything. You can't escape it. Just in case you just want to talk about it, your life. No, it's everything. God sources, he sustains, and he gives. Everything is a gift. What does he give? Life, your heartbeat, your next heartbeat, gift from God. Your next breath. Everyone do this. Okay, you can let it out. Okay, that's from God. Now, some of us may need a mint, but it's all from God. It's all from God. You don't realize that until you're broken and you're wondering where your next breath will come from. 
until you're broken financially and you're wondering where your next dollar will come from, until you're broken in your career and you wonder where your next job will come from. See, that's the time. You go, no, I only think of it when I, when I have it. No, no. The pattern throughout Scripture is we forget about God when we have excess and we claim it as our own. And maybe it's a time for all of us to be broken. All of us to be broken in everything that we have so that we can lift it back up to God. So the question, here's the statement. When, when, when James says this, he says, every good and every perfect gift is from above. It's kind of like a mountain stream coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God's never changed. He created this way and he sustains life this way. He's never changed. He's always provided. He's always made it. He's always owned it. He's always sustained it. And he's always given it to us. Always. That's the flow of everything into our lives. So if God is the source of everything we have, do you know what this means? This means that everything we have is a resource. Do you realize, may not even realize it, that when you say the word resource, you're saying God's the source. Because a resource means you take what God has given you and use it for something. It becomes your resource. God could speak and nothing became something, right? But we can't. We always have to have something from God to make something else. So resources are something that were sourced with God. And with this, then I would just ask the question, what have I been given? So I read a book recently called The Seventh Key, a really great book. I, I liked it just showing, a, kind of helped me define what I have. And um, as I read it, they had a practice in here that you're to take everything that would represent everything you have and put it on a table. And on that table, just think about it. Just think about it. Just kind of define, what do I have? And... This kind of came in line with a practice my wife have been, and I have been doing with our boys. We have three little boys. Now they're no longer little, 23, 21, and 16. So they're grown up. So we don't do this as much. But when they were little, we did this. This was our family treasure box. And we built a tre- We went to Hobby Lobby, bought this treasure box, and filled it with key things that we wanted our family to be about, values, if you will. And we always started with this. We always started with Jesus. Because Jesus is the greatest gift ever given to us. He's the greatest gift ever that we could ever receive and live in our lives. Jesus reminds us that God loves us, that he lived for us, he died for us, and he rose again for us. When you have Jesus, you have everything you need for a relationship with God. If you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. You have nothing. Matter of fact, you have God against you. And so what we call this is, is this is where it all starts. It's Jesus begins. He's our greatest treasure. Love him, follow him, serve him with the first and best of everything you have. And then we just had another thing. We had um, this flashlight represented the truth of God in our lives. When you have Jesus, you have the truth. So the truth would help you in a dark world to find what's right, what's wrong. The truth would always win, right? Because God is the source and sustainer of all truth. He's the protector of truth. And so whenever there was an issue with the truth in our kids' lives, we would come back, hey, you know what? God would never lie to you. He would never do that because he loves you. And the truth always wins. And my kids even say that today. What do we know about the truth? Dad, the truth always wins. Why? Because God's the, the sustainer of all truth. This one is a um, Swiss Army knife. And although we haven't taught them how to use a corkscrew, <laughs> we did show them that our family's going to go on uh, adventures. And whatever adventure we go on, God is going to provide the right tools for us so we can follow him in faith. 
and he's going to provide. The other one is the uh, key, and the key represents an open door. We want to be a family that opened, that pursued open doors that got open to us. One of the open doors 15 years ago was Topeka, Kansas at Fellowship Bible Church. Our boys at that time were 18 months, four years old, and six years old. So I just had two who could listen to me at that time. And they all looked at me. I said, guys, what does this mean? Dad, an open door. I said, mom and I have been praying. We think God wants us to move to Topeka. We're going to lose our friends. Yeah, but God's going to open up new friends for us. Thankfully, they said yes, and so we moved. This canteen represents the water, and we have living water in us. We have Jesus, and so Jesus gave us that water to flow through us, not to stagnate in us. So this would represent that we're to bring refreshment to people around us, that we're to bring living water, share the gospel, love people, give generously. And then this last one was just a judge's gavel, and we always said, you know, at some day, we're going we're gonna to meet, meet Jesus. And he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the gospel? What did you do with my character? What did you do with the gifts I've given you? And we wanted to be a family. Uh, At that time came, we would say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we always wanted a picture to eternity. Now, this is what God has given my family here, and we've always thanked him for it. But I also have some other things that just are a picture of what I have. One is life. Here is my birth certificate. April 15th, 1965. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 52. That's my new Taylor Swift song. Um, I'm learning to live in the reality of that. And uh, I'm thankful for life today. This is my wife. This says she, she was born also, thankfully. She's born in McCook, Nebraska, and we met in Dallas, Texas, and we fell in love and we dated. We got married. Here's our marriage license. And we're going to be celebrating 25 years on August 15th this year. And she's one of the greatest gifts that God has given in my life. And I thank the Lord for her. God has also given us three boys. Here are their birth certificates. James, Jack, and Nathan. They are blessings to us. I thank the Lord that they love Jesus and that they're following him. This year, God gave us um, a girl. And James married Brady. And Brady Frederick took on Brady Hishma, and she is a blessing to us. We prayed for 21 years for a girl, and God finally gave us one. (laughs) Um, I have cars. These are the titles to our two cars. Um, I have a house. God has blessed us with a house. James did that several years ago. Um, I have time. God's given us time. And time's the great equalizer. Do you realize we all have 24 hours, rich or poor, and everyone in between? We only get 24 hours in a day. Billionaires, they don't get more time. They don't. Who gave us time? God. Who put us on this earth at this time for such a time as this? God has. This is, this battery represents energy. I had more of this when I was younger. I did. Some of you who are young, God's given you more energy than he's given me. How are we using that? Who gives it to him? Um, I'm a pastor in a church. It's a picture my niece took of me preaching one time when I actually was wearing a suit, which was not here. (laughs) Um, I have you. You are priceless. You're my church family. Do you know I love coming to this place? Every day when I drive into church, I thank the Lord that I get to be a pastor here. And you know, I've been saying that since I've come here, so it, it has nothing to do with our size. When we were 100, I still loved coming here. 
And I loved what God was doing in my church. Um, you are a blessing to me. I also um, have my investments here. These are things money can buy. And boy, I've made some bad investment decisions. And I've realized world come. <laughs> I, I've learned not to find my significance in what I have. But I'm still learning that because I'm pretty materialistic even as I think about it, if I'm really honest. I, um, I've learned to listen to wise people to speak into me on that. I'm in the United States of America. As I've traveled, I've realized how many people want to be here, want to live here. And we don't have a perfect country, but it sure is better than some of the countries I've visited. And we are blessed here. So I was talking in India as we've gotten more involved in India. Average person there makes buck fifty to five bucks a day. That's it. That's it. A pastor in India makes 150 bucks a month. That's it. And they shared it with me when I visited there. So uh, this is what, can I just ask you a question? This is what I've got. What has God given you more of? Some of you, God has given you more money than everyone else. What are you doing with it? Some of you are young. You don't even make any money, but you have time. You could spend it for 10 days on video screens. Or you could think about how you can make a difference with the time God gave you. Some of you, God gave you energy. You just, I mean, it's pinging off the walls. And, and if you're not plugged into who God is, I just saw someone push another kid. You got a lot of energy right there, man. Um, but some of you have energy that can be, you can use this to glorify God and make his name greater. This is what God has given you. What if you did this at your home with your family? What would your family see? Because here's what I did when I realized what I have. I quit looking, I quit looking for what I didn't have. I quit looking for what wasn't perfect in my family or my marriage. And I started thanking God for what he gave me. Do you realize he is the maker? He is the owner. He is the sustainer. He's the giver of everything in my life and in yours. Everything. Everything. So how do we live with everything then? This is who God is. How do we live then? Well, let's take a look at one passage that I want you to remember. It's, it's Psalm 145, verse 16. It's been a great verse for me to keep in mind. And it's, it's really simple because uh, as, it's, as, it, as I read it, you hopefully will remember it. It just flows like a river into our lives. It describes who God is, and it was a psalm of worship when people were giving to the Lord, when they were going up and offering a sacrifice to him. This is, who they, this is what they were calling God, and this is one of his great acts. They say this, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. <laughs> Does that just sound awesome? Picture the creator of everything, the owner of everything, the sustainer of everything, taking his hands and going here. And we on the receiving end of that, that river coming into our lives, when we really recognize what we have, we have the gospel. We have the goodness. The character of Jesus is actually shared with us. And we have the gifts that God has given us, our time, energy, ability, and resources. This is how God operates with us. He opens his hand. He satisfies the desire of every living thing. Three things happen 
when God opens his hand. And I'm just going to say this. When you start living with an open hand, these things happen in your life. Number one, when you live with an open hand, you reveal the source. It says, God, you open your hand. In other words, look up, look up, look to the God who lives with an open hand to us. Do you realize when you are generous, when you have something, when you've been blessed with something, do you know what other people think about you? They go, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? Do you know what your answer should be? He opened his hand. It's not because I'm attractive. It's not because I'm intelligent. It's not because I'm self-made. For some reason, God said, here. He opened. All right. Who gave you the ability to make money? God did. Who made you the ability to sing or to speak or to counsel or to, um, or to help people in social work or to teach students as a teacher? Who gave? God did. He opened up. And do you know what he wants you to do? Reveal the source. Reveal the source. Where did all this blessing come from? God. Every time you, every opportunity you get to do something different, to do something above, to do something beyond, look up and say, it's the creator. He's the one. We make our lives more about him. And when we do, guess what? He becomes greater in this place. He becomes greater in this city. Every time we live with an open hand, we reveal the source. Secondly, We bring life. We bring life to others when we live with an open hand. Because look what it says. The end result of God opening his hand is the desire of every living being satisfied. Because God lives with an open hand. Think about that. Every living thing needs to be sustained. You need rest. You need food. If I kept going for an hour, you would be ticked because your bodies would say, feed me, bring life to me. And who's going to provide your food? God is. God is. He's done it with money. He's going to do it tomorrow. Think about the pattern you have. You haven't had, unless you did it intentionally, you've not lived without food for a day. God has provided He has provided for each one of us. And when we live with an open hand, guess what happens? We bring life to others. When you live with an open hand with the gospel, what do people hear? Jesus. When you live with a closed hand with Jesus, what do they hear? Nothing. Do you know how many few followers of Jesus share Jesus with others? Oh, but Joe, I don't want you on separation of church and state. Get over it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. Get out of the boundary of whatever restriction you have. I might lose my job. Who will provide another job? No, seriously. We got to stop living normally. Normally is not godly. It's normal. And it makes sense. And has a logic to it. But it's not godly. We've got to be people who are willing to bring life. We've learned that staying in this neighborhood is not what God just wants for us. So God's moved us. So some people in this room to go to the Highcrest neighborhood... And rent some space at a former 501 school and to minister to people there. We want to bring life to that neighborhood. We want to bring life. Probably the pattern in that neighborhood was not, not to change on its own. Life has to be brought in. How does that happen? When we live with an open hand. Time, energy, ability, money. 
We bring life to others. And then finally, this is joy. We receive joy when we do this. Do you know that your heavenly father, father loves to give good gifts to his children who ask him? I mean, God, because he lives with an open hand, he, when we go, God, I need more of your love, he goes, yes, you need love, man. Look at this inventory before the foundation of the earth. What, what's going on here? Pour it into your life. God, I need more patience and I need it now. Okay, I can give you patience, but it's going to take some time. That's how God works. He works with, he loves to answer and give good gifts when we ask. So what are you asking of God? Seriously, what are we asking? Lord, I'm, I'm fearful that I'm missing out of life. I need that upgrade. I need that next video pack. I need whatever. No, you don't. You don't. What do you need? Because when you get into that touch with your heart, and when we're really honest in our hearts of hearts, those are the things God loves, loves to give us. God, I need patience to wait on the person that you have for me, not just the next hookup. God, I need a heart that loves you more than I love anything else. Lord, I need to trust you with my kids rather than control my kids. And when we do that, guess the other side of us living open-handedly with our marriages and with our children and with our careers, guess what? We get joy. Now that's going to be uncomfortable. That first step is uncomfortable because your comfort zone is what you're comfortable with, right? So when I talk about living with an open hand, you go, wait a minute, I don't have that. I don't have this. I'm not like that. Okay, that's your comfort zone. But when you step out of that comfort zone and live with an open hand, guess what you've just done? You've made the comfort zone larger. So do nothing. Your comfort zone is very limited. You take the step in faith with an open hand, your comfort zone gets larger. That's how God works. I had to go and step out of southwest Topeka and go over to Adams and serve or watch in Highcrest before I came more comfortable there. Was it awkward? Yes, at first. But you're talking to a guy who, believe it or not, I feared, one of my greatest fear was speaking in front of people at one time in my life. My first message, I preached the word of God like this, and sweat poured and puddled into my Bible. It puddled there, folks. I'm not, I took my Bible off and I had a wet spot right here. People were like, what is going on, you know? And I left there going, I don't think I'll ever do that again. It's not my comfort zone. But then someone loved me enough, said, who can you speak to where you don't sweat? And I said, high schoolers. And that's where my ministry began. And God built up a comfort zone with high school students so that, guess what? As they grew up, I could speak to adults because I've been talking to them since they were in high school. The comfort zone will never change if you don't, if you live closed life, if you live closed off, and you will rob yourself of living in light of the source and sustainer of everything that's good. The God who created you, the God who owns everything, the God who sustains you, the God who gives you. So here's what we're going to do. Just over these three weeks, we're going to share this vision with you. 
And folks, we're not saying we need you to give more money here. That's, that may be what God does, but ultimately, God is not about things you can pay him off for. He's about your whole life. Your whole life. Your time, your energy, your abilities, everything. Everything. Because we believe we are a sleeping giant as a church. I'll be open with you. If we woke up and recognized and revealed the source of everything, if we realized that we are actually people God has called on to bring life to this community and bring life around this world, if we realized all the joy God had for us on the other side of generosity, one that's not motivated by fear or guilt or shame, or high emotional pleas, but really, if I just wanted to be and live with an open hand like God is with me, if we just did that, I can't tell you how radical of a difference we could make in this city. I can't tell you how, many, how much radical of a difference we could make as a church family in the world. So as we share this, we're going to also practice what life could look like with an open hand. Today, you gave 10% of your food. Here's what I want you to do next week. 10% of your clothing. I want you to go in and look in your closet. Do you have 10 shirts? Take one. Bring it back. If you have 20? Bring back two. See how it works? 10%. It's really easy. That's why guy kind of starts with the standard of generosity of 10% because we always know what 10% is. It's not like, oh, 3%. Well, I can't add. I don't. No, 10%. It's a real easy place to start. And I would, someone encouraged me to do this when I was sharing this idea. They said, okay, Joe, go in your closet, take all your shirts and your pants and just flip them so that the hanger is the opposite way you normally do it. And then just live for six months. And when you wear something, put it on the right way. Put it back on the right way. And look at how many clothes you don't even use. So I want you to live like that. I want you to go back, take 10%. And what we're going to do is we're going to disperse this all around our families in Topeka through our partner at the Topeka Rescue Mission. Now, we filled up the truck this week with food. We will have multiple trucks next week. Because we have a lot of clothes. And I know what the temptation is. Yes, I can go shopping because there's room in my closet now. (laughs) I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. I want you to try to live simpler. Live more simply so that you can live more with an open hand. I don't want you to go out and buy clothes. I want you to go and look at good clothes that you can give away and bless someone All of this goes outside of FBC, so not one of us will benefit from this. All of us can live with an open hand. In the third week of this series, we're going to show up on May 6th, and we're going to do ShareFest. We have 25 other churches who are joining us in this effort. 1,500 people who are going to show up and do landscape overhauls all around 501 schools and other ministries in town. And we are going to make a noticeable difference in these places. If I were to show up alone... Not much would get done. But when the giant wakes up on a Saturday morning and the giant is excited about giving time and energy to the Lord and the giant serves, guess what happens? No big deal. No big deal. We can do that. Major things happen. 
I've been in, in Topeka 15 years. I don't know of another event that has opened up more doors and opportunities for us as a church than ShareFest. And it's because we decided to live as a church with an open hand. Do you know the typical church in America gives 2% of what's given in them, outside of them? We give 20%. And I'd like to see that continue to grow. And so what we're going to be doing through the month of May, and we're going to be strategic in this. This is not going to be about an emotional reaction to a pastor who's heavy-handed or inspires and all that kind of stuff. We want this to be about you and Jesus and living with an open hand. Throughout the month of May, whatever we give in the month of May, whatever you all give in the month of May, we are going to use that to plan our future budget. So if you don't give a whole lot in May... I may not be working here anymore. (laughs) But if you give generously, we'll be able to give over and above outside of this place because we are going to set a finish line in how much we'll spend inside this place. And we have an opportunity for a defining moment. And we're doing it in May because I won't be preaching about it in May. And what you give in May, I want you to give the next month after May, like in June, you know, that lousy month in June when you're all traveling and church giving drops. I want you to give in June and July and August and September and October. And I, you know how the calendar goes? Every month, what you gave in May. So have conversations now. Think about what do I have? What is God? God, thank you. Now, what can I do with it? What can I do with this? And see what God does as you live like he does with an open hand that satisfies the desire of every living thing. This is a defining moment for me and for you and for us as a church. Folks, we're up 500 people than a year ago, okay? Which means many of you who are new and may have never had a challenge like this, but I'll be honest with you, you're not going to find a challenge like this apart from this church or apart from any church. You're, you're going to find it out. You're going to find a, a pattern in this world that's spend it all, spend more than you make because you're going to miss out if you don't have this next little gadget. And God says, enough. Everything I've given you is for my glory to make my name greater. We have an opportunity for a defining moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us who you are. You are the source of everything. But you are also a good father who loves us generously, who opens your hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. And we are people, if we look at what we have, we're satisfied in you. And so Lord, help us to live like you do with an open hand. And may we reveal you. May we bring life to others. And may we live joyfully. It's in the name of Jesus and for his name that I pray. Amen.